Hello, and welcome to Inside Scoop Live. I'm Sherry Hoyt, and I'm your host for today. I'm so excited to be speaking on the phone today with Sandy Cook, author of A Home for Abigail, a heartfelt story based around the true events of an abandoned dog and her journey of finding a forever home and family. But before we begin, let's learn a little bit more about Sandy. Sandy Marriott Cook lives in Texas with her husband Richard and their furried and feathered children. Sandy has been an animal lover ever since her pet turtle was her best friend and confidant. As an artist, she hopes to convey the special places pets hold in our hearts. To see some of her portraits of pets and wildlife, visit her artist page at www.smarriottcook.com. And for more information on Sandy and a home for Abigail, visit her website at www.ahomeforabigail.com. And that's www dot a h o m e f o r a b i g a i l dot com. Hi, Sandy. Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. Well, hi. I'm so glad to be talking with you. And how are you doing today? I'm great, and it's certainly my pleasure having you here today. Uh, why don't you start by telling our listeners a bit about yourself? I have painted for about 15 years. I've been an animal lover for many, many, many years. As an only child, mm-hmm. uh, animals were really my only friends as I grew <laughs> up, and have they have just really been close to me. When I started painting, I actually really went to that. I painted portraits with animals and then just basically went to animals. I'm married mm-hmm. with my precious, wonderful hubby bear, Richard, whose name is Teddy Bear, so I'll <laughs> accidentally refer to him as Bear. And I have five cats. And a dog. Wow, that's impressive. (laughs) Thank you. We enjoy them immensely. Oh, yeah. So, of course, we're going to talk about your book, A Home for Abigail. Wonderful book, beautiful. I mean, the book itself is just absolutely beautiful. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. In our Reader Views Awards Contest, you won three of our awards and then one of our sponsors' awards. Best Children's Book of the Year in two of our categories. Uh, first place in our Reader Views, the Reviewer's Choice Awards, and then our sponsor award, Feathered Quill Be Kind Animals Awards. It's pretty impressive for your first book. Oh, it was just so exciting. I have to a funny story about it. Uh, when I got, they sent the little attachment of all the little certificates and everything. I kept looking at them, and I finally emailed back and said, "Did I win four awards?" <laughs> so I was very excited. Um, yeah, that's really great. What does that mean to you personally? Your story about Abigail and and for the work that you do with animals. How did you feel when you first heard it? I was just so excited. I had it been so long since I had entered and everything. And, of course, I it was so neat because I always pray for the awards and pray for notice of the book because of my message in the book and mm-hmm. hope so much that many, many people will be uh, affected by my message in the book about spay and neuter, uh, mm-hmm. the, your animals, because we have so many extra animals. And I, I cannot tell you, I was absolutely thrilled. I told my husband immediately and started <laughs> emailing my friends and sending, sending them copies. I haven't actually announced all of them yet on Facebook because I'm kind of doing it one at a time, but I did the feathered Quill, which was yeah. the other one that you were talking about, and put there. They did a, an interview and you know did a review, and and I posted those. And I'm starting with uh, the give because you put me in the giveaway, uh, mm-hmm. which we need to mention, I guess, uh, yeah. this month. And I'm really excited about that. 
Well, good. Like I said before, the book itself, oh, to hold it and just to look at all the wonderful pictures. And it's a total package, a great story, uh, great writing pictures. I'm glad I had the chance to read it. Oh, you're very kind. You're very sweet. (laughs) I do a little talk on how I had a lot of help. Thank you, God, for providing uh, my hubby who put it on InDesign for me. He is an IT, and so he's just wonderful and did that and really helped me to so I could show the publisher exactly my vision of the book. And mm-hmm. so uh, we really designed the book, and what you see is what we did, but he was an enormous help for that. My goddaughter who helped me do the great, uh, the first edit, she was just, she's a, she's a really great writer on her own mm-hmm. right, and hopefully I will get there be there too <laughs> at some point but uh, and just the encouragement of a good another good friend who's good with computers and working with the publisher I won't go but I just I do a talk because I always say thank you God because you helped me so much and actually brought the little animals along and we found all the animals and everybody we had worked so well into the book it was just obvious to me yeah you know that it was ordained like that <laughs> so yeah, I had absolutely. help I love that it's written from Abigail's perspective. I, I think it just gives such a unique feel to the story. And it, I don't know, I think it connects with the readers on a more intimate level. So how did you decide to write from, from Abby's perspective? Well, I'll tell you exactly how I did this. It's so funny because you hear people on TV and everywhere all the time saying, spay and your animals. Spay and your animals, mm-hmm. et cetera. I could say it over and over, and I know that everybody's heard it. And I feel that it was a God-given inspiration to say, if Abigail says it, maybe it'll get to the children and they'll hear the dog actually say, it's really good to be spayed or, or, or neutered. And then Mr. Buns and everybody joins in and actually says it's much better. So that was why. Yeah, that's great. And I know the, the kids did hear the message. Our reviewer just loved the book. She mentioned in her review how it was a wonderful lesson and I just love that point of view. I just think it's great. You know, it kind of made me think, well, do the animals really think and talk to each other? And I'm sure they do. I guess they do, too. I know when Cosette came out in the first place, so interesting you say that because uh, I remember a lady that I had mentioned to, I said, you know, it's all true except the animals are talking to each other. And she said, (laughs) well, of course they do. We just don't hear them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So Abigail was not your first rescue, and you you mentioned a little bit about your other animals. Tell us more about your pet family. You have five cats. Were they rescues? All but one is a rescue. Mm -hmm. Uh, Monsieur Monet was a gift from our goddaughter for my birthday. I love that all of your pets have nicknames. What is your fascination with nicknames, obsession? What? <laughs> they say obsession. I don't know if it's – hopefully I will call it my creativity <laughs> because okay. I have maybe five, six nicknames. I remember I had a cat, little cat named Phoebe, and her nickname was Cookie, and the vet looked at me real funny one time, and I, <laughs> I said Cookie, and she went – I said, that's Phoebe. <laughs> so, and Phoebe knew her nickname. I mean, they all know their nicknames, by the way. That's funny. They're very good about it. Great. Yeah, I'm cute story when I put Teddy Bear down for Richard's nickname in the front and mm-hmm. had him referred to as Bear in the story. And I, when I first wrote it, I let a friend of mine's grandchildren read it just to kind of see how. And this little girl said, where's the bear? So I had too many animals. So I took his nickname out. That's yeah. funny. 
I, I love the cast characters in the beginning with all the animals and their nicknames. I thought that was a nice touch as well. <laughs> Thank you. I was hoping that that would, because there were kind of a lot, and since they were talking, it would clarify, especially for younger children. Absolutely. How do your cats feel about your rescue work? How did they feel when, when you brought Abigail home? You talk a little bit about it in the story and how you uh, worked with the animals to help them get to know each other. But tell me about the initial reaction um, when you would bring in a new pet. Well, we always, when we bring in a new cat, we set up a large cage and put the new cat in it and let everybody look at the cat for like two days. Mm-hmm. And and then everybody's like pretty good because they've gotten to see it without being threatened. When we brought in Abigail, she was still, as I look back, it was totally God knew we needed to keep her. We did not want to keep the dog. We tried desperately, which is noted only slightly in the book sort of, but we really mm-hmm. didn't want to. God knew better, and we did end up keeping her. And she was wonderful from the word go. She went in, and of course I was standing there. I'm just not in the actual book I would never mm-hmm. let her be by the bunny I mean I was very watchful right uh, you know with that but she came in Mr. Bun thumped and and it was just so funny to he knew a new animal was there and he was claiming his little territory but they were really <laughs> good friends and Cosette did come in just exactly as I had uh, in there and she was sitting there talk, you know kind of talking with yeah. him I'm, not, I mean, I'm, I'm saying that but she was just adorable uh, about and I assumed we all both Richard and I looked at each other and went well obviously she's been around dogs and uh-huh. of course the other ones hadn't Chloe hid under the covers for <laughs> a while and uh, but they Abigail was so wonderful with them I cannot even tell you she was great with the ducks she was great with the baby ducks she never ever really threatened anything she was just a marvelous dog about it uh, you know about everything Cats are so funny, too. I love the picture in the book with the cat. Uh, it was her turn to get to know Abigail, and so she, she got up on your lap, I think it was. And I had all turned. of the, the trainer <laughs> in her, yes, yes. I don't know which one you're talking about, Chloe. The one, she turned her back to the dog. She like, oh, that's Cosette. <laughs> yes, our little pill. <laughs> I'll put it politely. <laughs> that's just a cat, isn't it? You know, all their personalities. I just, you got to love them, huh? <laughs> yes, she was a hoot. I, I, she really, really was a funny little cat. Uh, she had been returned. Uh, she had actually been dumped at the pound, by the way. Uh, I say returned. That's not really right. She was dumped right. at the pound, and the lady where we adopted her said, the message said, she will not engage. And mm. the rescuer said, I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> yeah. We decided that whoever got her, she was a beautiful cat, uh, did not have cats. They weren't right. used to them. They probably had dogs. They Somebody either talked them into it or something like that. And, and they just didn't understand you don't make cats particularly Siamese-type cats, which, of course, she was as a Himalayan. She wasn't going to have any of it, but she was great, and she was very precious. I make her sound, I mean, she just loved Richard. She was really Richard's little girl, Mm -hmm. and Chloe was really sort of my, you know how they get, like, of course, she liked, they liked us all, but, you know. Yeah. Oh, I know. I have two cats, and, you know, I'm the one that feeds them and gives them their treats, and I love them more. And who do they go to first is my husband. It's, you know, I just, I'm like, okay. I don't like it, but I guess I gotta accept it. You know. <laughs> sure, that's just the way they are. That's a, that's why they're cats. <laughs> it's a cat thing. Yeah. 
So you rescue waterfowl as well. What exactly does that mean and what is involved? In well, we actually used to be on the Audubon call list. Uh we just have we've we've done it for oh. so many years. We've uh rescued uh wild waterfowl and birds for about thirty years. Uh wow. all the way from little hoot owls to swan. I mean large <laughs> huge swans. Wow. Uh yeah, and uh we've actually done nursing and things like that and I've tubed them as I mentioned in the book and do all kinds of things. There mm-hmm. is a, a wildlife fortunately sanctuary of birds here called Rogers Wildlife and we she has been an enormous help and we take a lot of them to her. But we have huge nets just like I mentioned in the book and everything mm-hmm. and Abigail mm-hmm. came. She was wonderful. Uh, always with them and seemed to really enjoy rescue efforts. Where did you learn how to do all of that? Oh, I had a wonderful dear friend named Don Fear who is a wildlife, actually, specialist attorney. Mm-hmm. And he was enormously helpful, and he is just, he is one of the uh, huge waterfowl experts, actually, in the country. He is considered wow. that now. And wow. he's great. Inside Scoop Live is a global internet-based broadcast specialized in interviewing published authors about their current books and their areas of expertise. Join us and hear both well-known and upcoming writers talking candidly about their life, experience, as well as the business of being an author in today's literary world. Always interesting and current, we strive to bring our audience high-quality discussions that spotlight a vast diversity of authors in the field today. Our interviews are available 24-7 through direct podcasts, as well as MP3 download from your computer for your convenience. Please visit us at InsideScoopLive.com. Welcome back to Inside Scoop Live. I'm talking today with Sandy Cook, author of A Home for Abigail. Stay tuned because we're going to continue the conversation with Sandy about rescuing waterfowl, painting, being a big classic movie fan, how a new home for Abigail was a family project, and her new dog, Peaches. In the meantime, you can learn more about Sandy and her book, A Home for Abigail, by visiting her website at www.ahomeforabigail.com. And that's www.ahomefor. A-B-I-G-A-I-L dot com. One of the main things that comes to mind from the story is the rescue and the actual rescue and Abby's uh, journey to find her forever home. What advice can you give people if they encounter what looks like either a lost or an abandoned animal? The best thing to do is take a picture and put it on Facebook. If you can possibly foster yourself, there are local people that will also post uh, the picture and we share them and often they're found. My main advice to people would be get your animals microchipped. Please mm-hmm. get them microchipped. It is the one biggest thing where you can get your animal back. I have stories that I've reposted of people getting their animals back from a microchip like three and four years later. Oh, wow. Enormously important that people do that. It is, and that's why I wrote it into the story. It's part yeah. of the story. 
Okay, that is good advice. And then, of course, I guess one should always be wary encountering a strange animal because you never know how they're going to act. I will say that. Abby was unbelievable. Of course, I didn't know her name at the time. Uh, Mm -hmm. She was very, very friendly, and I remember leaning over and opening up because I'm not that used to dogs, really. Mm -hmm. She was great. She tried so hard to get in. It was very obvious that her demeanor was very sweet and very friendly. She was not fearful. I really would advise people to maybe – you know, certainly get help if they had mm-hmm. an animal that seemed fearful. My advice to people who adopt animals would be give it some time. It is always, I don't care where you get the animal, if it's from uh, an actual shelter or a pound, which they're two, those are really two different things. Sometimes pounds call themselves shelter, but it is really different. Or yeah. from a foster, because a lot of shelters use fosters, and they're not as traumatized coming from there. But right. so often they're traumatized, you don't know what the animal is going to be like until it calms down and feels safe. And yeah. so you have to think, uh, people remember if you were taken out of your where you live and are gotten lost or whatever and you can't communicate with anybody what's going on and you can't really understand how you might feel. So I just feel that that's something to say, you know, to give it a month. Don't take it back the next day because, oh, my gosh, they did this. Yeah. You can't set expectations like that. Exactly. That's why we, when I was talking about putting the uh, the new cat in a cage, and it sounds Mm -hmm. maybe irpy, but it really isn't mean or anything like that. The new cat needs to feel comfortable where it is, and it does. It's a large cage, I mean, with like two stories, Mm -hmm. and they can get, everybody feels comfortable. They don't feel threatened, and it makes for so much better introduction for new animals. Yeah, we got our Felix from the Humane Society, and we already had Fred. I'm not too creative with names here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think Fred's a great name. Richard Felix, named the yeah. Negret Fred. But we kept Felix in one of the bedrooms with the door shut, and that way they could kind of sniff under the door and get used to each other that way. I didn't think about a cage because that probably would have been better. They could have seen each other, but... Well, right. but you had certainly the right idea. A yeah. cage just works because they can sit there. They can put a litter thing in there. They, it has just worked really well for us. So tell us about your new dog. You have a new member of the family. We do. Her name is Peaches. She is absolutely precious. She came from the Fort Worth Pound. Uh, we got her on the day before Christmas Eve, which was Aww. our 20th anniversary. We got married on Christmas Eve. Oh, wow. And so we got her this year. She is a little doll. We all three had colds. She had kennel cough and Richard had <laughs> colds. We drove over and picked her up. Uh, I saw her off of a Facebook deal because I have lots of rescuers. I'm friends mm-hmm. with rescuers because of obviously what I do. And I saw mm-hmm. her little face, and she's just a doll. She was not as well, I'm not going to say she wasn't enthused at meeting the cats, but she wanted to run play with them, and oh. we had to introduce her to the cats. But now she's absolutely fantastic. She plays with them. It did not take long at all. She's just the sweetest little thing in the whole world. She loves other dogs. She is a pit mix, but she loves other dogs. That was one of the major reasons we liked her, and she's just precious. She's in her second manners class. She's already gotten her first certificate and we're going we're heading all the way to K9 good citizen and I am very hoping if it works out possibly to get her a therapy uh license so that we can go to classes 
and possibly explain to children about adoptive pets and what it's like to adopt them, uh, going to a pound, and how to take good care of a pet, like microchipping and bringing up spay and neuter and things like that. Oh, I love that. I love that. Do you talk to, like, schools or anything currently, or is that? We, I do not. It is something that I have really thought about and wanted to do. I've got a lot of friends with animals, and particularly mm-hmm. with the rescue, and I suspect I could probably uh, interest some of them. I'm very busy trying to get out. My mother passed away, uh, and I had I was executor of her will, and it's been, I'm mm-hmm. a little bit behind time on the illustrations of my new book. I've actually got two new manuscripts written and I'm working intensely and because I put so many illustrations in each book because I love illustrations and everybody seems to and it's the one thing that everybody always mentions. Oh, you have so many illustrations. It's a lot of fun. So that's what I always try to do and so it's going to be kind of time consuming but I am heading and already talked with the wonderful. We have a great teacher uh, for the classes, and she does therapy work too. So I'm excited about Peaches possibly being a therapy dog. Yeah, that is exciting. The kids would love it too. I, I don't know what age group you might uh, gear that towards. I, that I don't think great. that would be too limited because I suspect now yeah. high school kids probably wouldn't care, but I would think even nine, ten years old. That's the thing about the book, and I was very excited that I let reader views put it in mm-hmm. the category. They put it eight up. We were asked to try to buttonhole it, and it's really funny on my reviews on Goodreads. Mm-hmm. I think only one person or two people actually mentioned about their kids. Everybody seemed to really like it as mm-hmm. an adult, and so that was wonderful to me. Oh, yeah. I mean, of course, an 8-year-old and up can read the story, and but the younger kids would be interested as well in having the story read to them. So it's, it is hard to pinpoint an age group. That is what reader reviews mention, that you might either want to have the child read it to you so you could explain things going along, Mm -hmm. you know, some of younger children if they can. Yeah. Or, you know, you read it to them for younger ones. Yeah. Of course, you did all the illustrations. Uh, They're actually paintings? Yes, they are oil paintings. Okay. And you've painted for a while now? I've I've painted now for about 16 years. Wow. And you've always painted pets and wildlife? Yes, I actually do. I paint lions and tigers and bears. That's what I actually yeah. have done more in illustration style, obviously. But I love to do, I had a good friend who did a lot of volunteer work at a exotic cat sanctuary that when people think they want a, an exotic pet and mm-hmm. they obviously can't keep them any longer, they, they have to find someplace for them. And I have numerous pictures of them, and that has been wonderful. I've also had friends that have gone to Africa, and they've shared. So that's neat. I've gotten to do that a lot. I haven't had time to paint exotic uh, animals as much, but I have a, kind of a surprise on one of the books with Monsieur Monet in it, who, and I'm going to incorporate some of that. Okay. So that'll be fun. Now, you mentioned you had a couple other uh, books in the works, manuscripts started. Can well, you tell I us anything about them? Finished. Well, I'd like to kind of keep them as a surprise. I'm okay. working on the illustrations now. That's okay. Okay, that sounds good. So what do you like to do when you're not rescuing animals or painting? Well, we're walking. I have a new Fitbit, and mm-hmm. I have walked the length of Italy in about five months. <laughs> <laughs> so my Fitbit informed me that I got my Italy 
boot or badge. Your Italy or badge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm really glad about that. Uh-huh. My husband and I do a lot of work because we do walk the dog and walk and rescue and feed ducks a lot. But our favorite thing probably is classic movies. We are mm-hmm. both huge classic movie fans. I used to sneak up when I was a little girl <laughs> watching movies. <laughs> My mother never knew. I remember watching a really scary one one time. I was scared to death, and I couldn't say anything or do it because I loved them. Then I always feel like they had more fun, scary movies. Now they're kind of horrible. Exactly. Yeah. They, I'm sorry, but they they really are. They. I then someone was really really nice and invented a VCR, and I didn't have to stay up <laughs> anymore because I'm really kind of a night owl. I mean, I've been known to paint till like three in the morning. And I go, God, I just got to go to bed uh, because if you get going painting, it's the time just melts away but movies are of a tremendous and i love classic films i'm actually doing a talk in a one of my clubs uh peo on classic screen legends of women uh, because i thought it would fit with peo and i'm making that up and we'll do a talk on that this this year oh how fun so what are some of your your favorite classic movies Oh, gosh, you're going to get me going. It's really hard to <laughs> pinpoint. I'm going to say Rebecca probably is my just favorite of all time by mm-hmm. Alfred Hitchcock. It was just wonderful with Sir Juan Olivier and Joan Fontaine. I love the letter, all about Eve, of course. The mm-hmm. women. Yeah, I don't know if you're not familiar with old films. You you probably. I'm, I'm familiar with a few of them. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're probably not going to know because some of these. Now, Voyager is one of my very favorites. Uh, I'm sure if you know about films at all that 1939 was the huge, the most enormous year of the fabulous films that everybody put out. I've actually seen documentaries on the year 1939, so it was really, really? hard to decide did I want to do William Wyler films or whatever, uh, you know. But I decided on Women's Screen Legends for this particular talk. But there are many, many great films, and people who have not watched old classic films. They are so unbelievably different that I think they're really missing a lot. Mm-hmm. They might should try them. Yeah, it, it really is a different world today. I think now, I don't know, are we not as imaginative as we used to be? I think you're right, and I think always what amazes me as I'm looking at this, they did so much, and it was so wonderful, and didn't they put out so many a year. Betty Davis used to say, oh, they bought the novels for us, and they put the film around us, and she did so many great films. Mm-hmm. They don't have that anymore, and I think the most amazing thing about old films is you can actually understand them. You can understand everything they're saying, <laughs> as opposed to everything running together because they're acting and they're trying to be natural. Well, I never yeah. thought Claude Rains or Betty Davis or, you know, Joan Crawford were not natural, and you mm-hmm. could understand them. Well, and they speak English. So it's like nowadays, I think the younger generation, they have their own language. And some of the, even the TV shows, I'm like, I don't even know what they're talking about. It's like, I'm... I totally missed it. There's a language barrier here. <laughs> yeah, they do have lots of uh, idioms and types of jargon that they, they use now, special words that, and I, maybe that's always the way it is with new generations. But I, I do think that, that <laughs> they are maybe to an extreme now. Yes, exactly. Sandy, I have so enjoyed talking to you today. Unfortunately, we're about out of time. I was wondering uh, before we go if you have anything else you'd like to add for our listeners. I really enjoyed the interview. Thank you so much. It was great, and I'm so pleased that y'all wanted to do it. It's really nice, and I totally am so thrilled about the award of the voting best 
uh, children's book. It, it's just a great honor. Thank you all very, very much. Where can our listeners buy A Home for Abigail? Of course, on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are available. You can order them from Barnes & Noble. They, some of the Barnes & Noble carry them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, Amazon, you can also get it off my website, and which okay. I'm about to add. You can charge it there, but I'm going to also add a PayPal. Uh, since I, when I go do signings, I have PayPal now, and I have that available. So. Oh, yeah, perfect. Yeah, Okay. Well, thank you so much again for joining us. I, I really appreciated getting to know you and your family today, and uh, thank you so much for sharing this time with us. Well, thank you. And to our listeners, uh, thank you for joining us today at Inside Scoop Live for our interview with Sandy Cook. Sandy is the author of A Home for Abigail. And once again, you can find more information on Sandy and A Home for Abigail at www.ahomeforabigail.com. And be sure to check out our other interviews at www.insidescooplive.com.